welcome to the Be Together podcast. We believe here that God did not desire for man to be alone. We are created with a need for companionship. So this gift has come to us through family and friends. Join me, Sarah, and my husband, Andrew, each week as we sit down with some of our favorite people and share our hearts on some fun and some difficult topics. Join us. Let's be together. Welcome back to the Be Together podcast. It's been a while. Our last episode, episode 10 over family traditions came out in April. Thank you to those of you who tuned in and listened. If you haven't yet, I hope you can find some free time to go back and listen to that episode. It was kind of a fun way to talk about different family dynamics and ways that you can incorporate traditions and um, why they're valuable and memorable for your families. So go back and tune in if you haven't listened yet. And thank you to those of you that had. Last I checked, we've had over 700 listens on our episodes. So we feel very thankful for that. Man, things during this pandemic and quarantine have looked quite different. I have not been able to get out episodes as much as I would like, but that's okay. Today, I'm very excited to jump in on this episode, episode 11. I'm calling it Our Story. I have some special guests with me today. I have my two older sisters, Jackie and Rachel, and I have my parents, Terry and Joy, who are going to sit in today and share, as a group, part of our family's story. Now, our story today is focused a lot around my brother, Matt. Uh, Seven years ago, our lives changed forever when we lost Matt. And we're going to go through kind of who Matt was as a child, who he was as an adult, and how we lost him, and how we've grieved through that loss, and how also we have found hope to keep going. Now, a lot of you listening, you probably knew Matt, and everybody that knows Matt has a story to share. And um, this is just one small part of Matt's story. This is just our family's perspective. If you're listening and you know you knew Matt, then you're part of this story too. But we just had the five of us together today to share. And um, we want to respect there's other people that played a big part in this story that weren't sitting with us today. Um, But we love those people too. And we're just going to share from the five of our hearts a little bit, like I said, about my brother, who he was growing up, who he was as an adult, some memories, and just how we lost him, how we grieved through that, and we still do, and how we find hope to keep going. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So growing up, we lived in a suburb of Kansas City area on the Missouri side, and um, there was four of us siblings. Um, We have the same parents, grew up in the same house um, our whole childhood, and Um, there was three girls and then Matt was the youngest. Um, we're all about two years apart in age and we grew up in a loving Christian home and had some great memories, um, growing up on about 14 acres. Um, so, yeah. So our story today that we're sharing is going to focus a lot on the youngest of the family, which was my brother, Matt. Matt was born the youngest of four kids in December of 1985 um, after what, Rachel? Royals World Series. (laughs) That's right. Um, A historic event. Uh, So we're going to share a little bit about some of our favorite memories of Matt and what Matt was like um, growing up. So go ahead, Jackie. So growing up with Matt, uh, he was the youngest, as Sarah stated, and 
Um, he was kind of the annoying little brother at times. Uh, I remember fondly um, memory of him uh, when my sister Rachel and I were in the basement in my bedroom hanging out and uh, we had a space underneath the door. There was a gap, you know, and um, Matt was trying to get our attention and he would throw this wig underneath the door <laughs> in the cracks and um, we would get frustrated with him and, or, you know, it kind of became a game and we would throw it back underneath the door and then he would throw it back to us. And finally Rachel got fr frustrated enough. We had a wood stove in the basement and she took the wig, <laughs> threw it in the wood stove so it would burn up. Yeah. <laughs> she was tired of Matt throwing the wig underneath the door. Matt did a lot of things like little brothers do to get reactions out of us. A lot of our stories have to do with him kind of not hurting us or anything, just trying to be do something to get attention and then the like reactions to cause that, a reaction yeah the us. reactions that we would have I also remember Matt would talk to anybody oh, yeah. which is so funny because I don't feel like I know I'm not that way and he was always like the talker like if we were going somewhere he would do the talking because he wasn't afraid to talk to no, anybody he didn't know a stranger no even in his adult life I mean he was always like that very very friendly, <clears throat> friendly wasn't afraid to talk to anyone so yeah with Matt being the youngest, one memory I have, uh, I remember, um, like Sarah said, he was quite the talker. I guess with three older si sisters, yeah. he learned early that, you know, to get his word in edgewise, he, he had to be a talker. And I remember uh, one of the comments of the nursery workers at our church saying that she had never knew a one-year-old that talked in full sentences so what the girls are saying is so true um we'd be riding in the car and he's just talking away and I would say five minutes mommy needs five minutes of quiet um and he was very outgoing um he was the only boy um with a cul-de-sac of girls and so he would go around and talk to all the neighbors and he was never intimidated by age he would talk to old and young um very outgoing and very funny very funny he yeah. made our family fun is what i say uh because you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth or what he was going to do i worried a little bit when he went to school thinking he would always have his name on the board and be in detention all of his life but uh he did learn when to say things and when not to, uh, to stay out of trouble, I guess you would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, Matt um, had a lot of friends. He made a lot of friends, old and young. Uh, the teachers loved him. Yeah. Uh, I think he kept the levity in the classroom, and uh, I had lots of teachers that told me, how much they really liked Matt because he made it fun in their classes. So I think that um, is a personality trait young when he was younger and older that he knew he was mature for his age. And so he, he knew when to make jokes and have fun. And then he knew when to be serious. And so mm -hmm. I feel like that was something, one of his characteristics. Yeah, one of his strong suits for sure. Mm-hmm. So Matt had a strong, like, fun personality even as a kid, but that definitely, like, set him up.
for what he ended up doing in his future as he set goals. Matt always wanted to be a firefighter. He knew that at a young age. And the things that they, his siblings and his mom mentioned, the, those personality traits served him pretty well because he was able to achieve his goals. He was a goal setter, and he achieved his goals pretty early. He was one of the youngest kids hired in the fire well, He was the youngest kid hired in the fire district that he wanted to be hired in. So... Um, he was an achiever, and, and he when he wanted something, he went for it. Yeah, he did. And I think that Matt was a very good at being a firefighter because of these characters, because he was he had good personality. He could, he could talk to people, relate to people. He was also responsible, so that's, you know, important in that line of work. Um, and he was a, someone who was determined to learn new things and he wanted to do things well. And so I think that all of that kind of set him up um, in his future. So he started his firefighting at a very young age. Do you remember how old was he when he well, finished? Well, he, he went was... straight into the academy out of high school. But, uh, yeah, he was hired. Uh, 18. At, yeah, 18. Yeah, I think he started working, like, part-time and then mm -hmm. full-time. So, mm -hmm. And the district he ended up at hired him. Uh, they had an age, a minimum age, and they hired him. And he did not meet that minimum age group, so they wanted him pretty bad. Wow, that's cool. I don't think I knew that. Matt was very responsible, and he used his profession to help others. He cared deeply for people. Um, I do remember that he was asked to um, share at an academic letter assembly after he had graduated from high school. They brought him back, and um, I was told by a young lady that... Um, his uh, encouragement in his speech uh, really solidified her going into the fire service and that he was the reason she chose that profession. And of course, you know, that does a mama's heart really good. But um, I also heard a lot of stories from other people in the um, community that, you know, he had helped that I didn't know about um, when he had done his calls and the extra... Uh, mile that he went with uh, some of the elderly and helping people in his profession was one thing that really <clears throat> brought him joy. Matt, as an adult, he always made an effort to call uh, at least once a month, sometimes more. Um, it's usually in the evenings, but he was a good communicator in the fact that he always made the effort to talk to me on the phone. Yeah, he... I really appreciate that. Yeah, he he would call us, and, you know, his schedule was kind of, you know, not a traditional work schedule because he was a first responder. So he would find these little nooks and crannies of time, and I remember he would call and just want to talk. He would never really always have, like, a, a reason for calling. He would just kind of call and talk. So um, Matt, being an EMT, and I was – I'm a nurse – and so a lot of times he would call me and talk about different things that he experienced or saw um, on the ambulance and I could kind of do the same. So we were the two siblings that uh, were in the medical field. So we had that connection. And so like Sarah and Jackie have both said, we often talked in the evenings. He was kind of notorious for calling later and later at later night. night. Yeah. And, um, Usually around nine. Yep. So we we had a good relationship that way as far as keeping in touch, which, like they said, I appreciated. 
at 27 years old, we've tried to convey that Matt was a pretty responsible and hardworking uh, young man. But on May, or May 3rd of 2013, he had been married for one year. Um, it was a day that our family remembers pretty vividly. Uh, we couldn't get a hold of Matt. His wife had a hard time reaching him that day, which is very uncharacteristic because he was such a communicator. Generally, if you left him a message, he would at least text you back or get back with you. And so that day kind of set up as a day that we always remember because no one could get a hold of Matt. And his wife kind of reached out and tried to see if any other people had heard from him, tried to talk to the people he had been with earlier that day. And it progressed into a situation where Matt was missing and his wife went on to work. And as the events kind of escalated and people were looking for him, he was eventually found that um, evening and it was determined that he had died by suicide, which is where our story got to be one now of shock and of confusion and sadness and grieving. And many people listening, you probably have stories of shock and loss. I mean, there's many people in this world who have experienced that. But one of the things that our family has had to do through this process is to come to the realization of that loss and how everybody's processing of that loss is different. So we're gonna tell you a little bit about that day. And maybe as you're listening, you have a day on your calendar that you remember vividly. And so hopefully this will help you um, kind of process that day. And I think it's healthy to talk through these things too, because when you're shocked and when you lose somebody at first, there's almost no words to say, but as time goes on and your heart's process, it's something that you can talk about. And so I know my sister Rachel has a story that she wanted to share from that day. And so does my mom. So we're going to let them share some of that. Um, I was just going to share my initial finding out. Um, I wasn't aware that Matt had been missing. I was not on social media. I hadn't um, heard from Claire or anything as I don't live in the area. So um, it was again a Friday evening and I was at home with my kids and we were having a movie night. Um, I can remember every detail. Um, I was sitting in the recliner and I have two children and I had kind of one on each hip or one on each leg kind of reclined back watching a movie and it was uh, around 10 o'clock and I saw my dad's name come across my cell phone and um, many of you don't know my father but he does not stay up till 10 o'clock on Friday nights <laughs> so my first reaction is dad's calling me at this hour it's probably not good um, I was trying to pause the TV and get the kids off of me and not miss the phone call and I was trying to do this all simultaneously and trying to get up out of the recliner and um, he had told me what happened and I could not I, I didn't believe it I couldn't wrap my head around it it was I just kept saying over and over I I don't believe that I don't believe that um, I had spoke with Matt on the phone previously the night before um, we had a really great conversation about multiple subjects. Um, it was over an hour long. Um, and never once did he ever give me any indication whatsoever that he had been struggling with anything. Um, 
again, from our stories we've told, Matt was, you know, financially responsible. He had just celebrated his first anniversary with his wife. Um, there was no visible stressors that we could see from the outside looking in. Um, and being a good communicator, you, you know, people think that he would have maybe said something that indicated he was struggling, but none of us can bring anything to mind that he mentioned. So it was a great shock to pretty much everybody that knew him. May 3rd, I remember vividly, um, I was in my office and I had two great big picture windows and I was on the computer and <clears throat> I looked out the window and saw these big, huge snowflakes falling down. It has never snowed in May in Missouri. And uh, a chill-boning um, feeling came throughout my body. And I'll never forget that. Um, and I just paused and looked at those snowflakes and just thought, is it really snowing on May 3rd? And it was. Um, never in my wildest dreams did I realize um, that that evening I would get the news of uh, my son running ahead. Um, but that's a day that I'll never forget. Yeah, I think the shock was something that just smacked you in the face. And I think everybody felt that way that knew Matt. I mean, family, friends, even just community members. It was... It was not something that anybody suspected or saw coming. And I think that that's part of the story that I guess we want people to hear is that there are signs of suicide and there are signs of people struggling, but there's also a lot of people who silently struggle. And um, it's something that we're aware of now, but in, I think until the stigma of that struggle goes away. It's gonna be something that people do silently a lot. And I don't think that's a new thing. I think there's always been people that silently struggle. But I also feel like um, people can use that now knowing that knowledge of the silent struggle to be more intentional to reach out or to even pray for people or to um, ask people in a genuine manner how they're doing. I think our society is one of, hey, how's it going? Oh, having a good day. Oh, good, fine. good. I'm, I'm fine. fine. Yeah, we get a lot of that. But being intentional with our relationships and really mm -hmm. trying to find out how people truly are doing and what we can do to help them or what we can do to um, get them help if we're not able to help them. And sometimes it's just a, a gift of your time. Yeah. Well, yeah. You have to learn to listen too, you know. A lot of times people are trying to communicate something to us and we're not really listening to what they're saying. I don't think that was the case with Matt, but in a lot of cases you find, I mean, you think back on and you wonder if you missed it. You yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Well, and I had that myself, you know, did I miss something? I did too. And I feel like I've rolled that conversation over my head so many times over the years and I'm like, I. I don't think I did, you know, but you start second guessing yourself. And yeah. Yeah. It's easy to let that, let that take over the guilt of like, I should have known, you know, we've had to, we've had to release that, release that guilt. Um, but then comes after the shock comes grief. Mm 
And, you know, grief is something that's a weird, weird situation. It's weird because I think everybody grieves uniquely to the relationship they had with that person. So a mother and a father are going to grieve differently than a sister or a wife or a friend. And so it looks very different depending on the relationship you had with that person and also just with your personal um, beliefs and with your personal like tendencies. I think that grief um, can look a lot of different ways. And so I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, you've grieved the loss of something or someone. And, you know, you've probably learned a lot about yourself and probably about your family members if they've grieved with you on how that kind of looks for each of us. After the immediate shock, the next kind of natural phase that we all experience, and I'm sure many of you have gone through this if you've lost somebody, is kind of that numbness. You now know that this event has happened, but you don't know what to do. You really can't think clearly a lot of the time. You're just kind of numb. And that usually leads into the funeral and the overwhelming, you know, reaction of people coming to your side and to being there but we all remember kind of that numb feeling um that led for a few days after and even longer when we were at the funeral and things mom did you want to share something about that i think some uh you know people don't know what to say or what to do to help you um i'm gonna hit on a couple things um that that help others and it's strictly just showing up. There are no words. And it's okay to say that um, or to tell that person, I love you, I'm praying for you. Those things were like a balm to my soul um, as I was trying to process this, this devastating grief and loss. Um, just the fact that you show up, because you're not going to remember everything that everybody says, but you do remember the people that were there. Yeah, our family has talked about that. Each of us individually can mention how touched we were by certain people that just showed up at the visitation or the funeral or at our house with a meal or whatever it was. I mean, those are the things that we remember, the people that showed up. I know personally I remember. I don't remember a lot from that week, honestly, after my brother passed and everything was coming together with the funeral and all that. I don't remember very much at all, but I do remember I lived, I lived two and a half hours away from my brother and where all this was happening. So I had to go home during that week and kind of get my house and my dog and everything situated. And I remember one of my friends that showed up, she had cleaned my house. She had stocked my fridge. Those are the things that I remember. It's not anything anybody said or any, or any words. I remember things people did and the people that showed up, People that drove from where I lived to the funeral, you know, hours and waited in line for hours. That That's what I remember. Me too. I uh, live out of town as well, not quite as far as Sarah, but um, I had friends, um, co-workers, um, people that may have not known my brother, yeah, but showed up to support me. And kind of like mom said, you know, most of them didn't know what to say and it's okay I I was never you know I I know that that person couldn't maybe understand what I was going through 
but the fact that they were there just really meant a lot to me in that moment and in that time and it still means something to me now too yeah and even now as we I mean it's seven years later but people still don't know what to say yeah. you know up to us on those hard days or when they know um that it might be my brother's birthday or it might be the anniversary of the day that he's passed, but people that just say, I'm sorry, or I'm thinking of you today, like those, mm-hmm. that's enough. And yeah. another thing I, I think even, you know, weeks after, I think people felt like they had to tiptoe around the subject yeah. after, you know, when I'm at work, my coworkers, you know, they want it to be supportive, but do I get her all upset at work? it helped me to talk about it. Um, and I know everybody's different and some people may not feel that way, but just for me personally, it really did help me to just talk it out and just share. Mm -hmm. You know, choosing to run into the arms of the savior. That's what, that was my choice. You know, we, we have choices and we have to determine whether or not you know, is this grief going to make me bitter or am I going to use it to glorify God? And that's the path our family has chosen. Um, and it, it doesn't make sense. And that's, that's one of the things about our faith that um, is intriguing maybe to people who don't have a faith, but it doesn't make sense to go through something so hard and yet to then have trust and faith and hope and um, want to help other people. I mean, it, that part of it doesn't make sense, but our family has, has made that choice and it does make sense to us because we have such a strong faith in Christ and we can depend on him because there's nothing in this world that can get us through this. It's, it's too hard. It's too hurtful. It's, it's too painful. And so we've had to really trust in something that's beyond this earth for that. Well, we have this illusion that if we knew why, it would make everything better, but it's it wouldn't make it any. Absolutely, it doesn't really matter. Right in the yeah. end, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead, Jackie's going to share a verse with you. It's one that she says is her favorite verse, and I know it's one that um, we we all have read over and over. So this is a, a verse from John. Is that right? Yes, from the, the book of John, uh, John sixteen thirty three, and um, this is a verse that I've come to love. I feel like it really is telling. It says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Yeah, and that's that's the point I was getting at. I mean, we have, like Mom said, we have made a choice to put our hope and our faith in something that has already overcome the world, and the Bible prophesies of how he's going to do that again in the future. And um you know, it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make... doesn't our... mean we're not going to have troubles in life. Yeah. Our life is not going to be perfect. That's right. And things are going to happen that are unexpected. And that you can't understand. I mean, it's beyond our understanding. But I know that people listening, you know, we're not the only ones who have a story of grief or of loss. A lot of people listening, you have those situations in your life as well. And so the Bible tells us we're all going to have... Troubles. We're all going to have hardships. It's going to look different for everybody, but we put our faith in someone who's overcome the world, and that gives us hope. Rachel has another verse she was going to share from Romans. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think, you know, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing is too big for him. Yeah, nothing can separate us from that love. And for me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 um, is really my life verse moving forward from that day, May 3rd. Um, because we don't know why Matt chose uh, to do what he did. I, you know, Proverbs tells us, you know, trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways, acknowledge him. And, and I, that's what I've clung to, um, not understanding all the whys, but trusting in God and surrendering that to him has been healing for me um, in my walk, in my grief walk. There's so many verses in the Bible that you can um, look up when you're having a, a bad day. Uh, I have yeah. another one um, that talks about fear. It's the Isaiah 40, verse 10, and also verse 13. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then 13 says, for I hold you by my, uh, by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God say, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. And those uh, verses have really helped me when I've been afraid or been sad, grieving. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if you're somebody listening and you're thinking, oh, you know, sure. The Bible is your inspiration. You know, I don't have that. I would encourage you to look up some of these verses or to read some of these chapters that these verses came from in the Bible, because the Bible is full of stories of people who face trials and hardships of all kinds. And so even though all of our situations are unique, there's a lot of people and stories in the Bible that can show you where our hope comes from. So I would encourage you, if you're not sure, if you think this is something that you don't understand, to, to dig into some of those chapters, because it's full of hope. And um, it's, it's, our, it's our kind of guidebook, I think. I know we've talked on... You know, when we're really struggling, that's where we go. Um, yep. We pray for each other. We go to each other. But the Bible is that source of um, giving us God's divine word and wisdom that can give us hope. Um, you know, we do have that hope. We know that Matt, even though he ultimately died in a way that we never expected and that was very shocking with the decision that he made, we also know that he had that hope. Now, something obviously was going on that, that you know, caused him to make that decision. But we know that even though he was going through a hard time, he still had those truths, you know, taught to him from a young age. He still had that hope. And so we have to, like someone said a few minutes ago, we have to release the, the why and the we don't understand this and, you know, the hurt that he must have been going through because we think about that a lot too, like how much he must have been hurting to go ahead and make that decision. We've had to release that and we still wonder why, but we've had to just say, this is in God's hands and we trust and put our hope in him. I think it is something, you know, Sarah kind of touched on the stigma earlier. Um, I do not believe, I don't want Matt to be remembered by the way he died. I want Matt to be remembered by the way that he lived his life. Um, he's not defined by his death. 
he was an amazing person and has an amazing story. And although the story was cut short, um, he did more in his short life than some people will ever do. And I think that it just brings that to the front of your mind to be intentional, um, to do those small acts of kindness for others. Um, yeah, because I think that's inspirational. I mean, when all of our time comes, I hope that we are all remembered by the way we lived and not, you know, by the way we died. And that just comes from daily choices, like the choices Matt made to pick up the phone and call people and to, um, you know, be friendly and to reach out and build relationships with people. So it's been seven years now that we lost Matt and um, moving forward, our family wants to continue to share his story to hopefully help, help others and open doors of um, talking about this subject because it can be a tough subject to bring up and um, we want anyone that's struggling to be able to reach out to us. And so we're just going to kind of talk um, about some of the avenues that have helped us and some of the people um, that have reached out to us. One thing I want to share is, you know, you're never over the loss of your loved one, but you do learn to carry it with God's help. Terry and I attended a bereaved parent retreat in Hot Springs, Arkansas, through a ministry called While We're Waiting. You can find this ministry at whilewe'rewaiting.org. Um, they host parent retreats, mom's retreats, dad retreats, and support groups all over the world for child loss parents. And these are all free. You just have to sign up and get there. For us, it was God's divine timing that allowed us to go, and it was really a pivotal time in our grief journey. God ministered to us, um, to our bleeding hearts through the love and encouragement of eight other couples and the facilitators that um, reminded us of God's truth. So we feel like God has called us now to help facilitate a satellite faith-based support group of While We're Waiting for bereaved child loss parents in the greater Kansas City area. We meet monthly in Greenwood, Missouri. In uh, my experience of my grief, when we help others, we help ourselves as well, just like we've talked about. And there's a verse in 2 Corinthians that talks about how God comforts us so that we can turn comfort others. And we try to do that by coming alongside other hurting, grieving parents, because we get it and we're experiencing it. I, um, I also want to say that you have a choice, you know, is this loss going to make me bitter or is it, or am I going to use it for God's glory? And we have chosen to surrender our pain um, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for his glory. I feel like uh, after experiencing this loss of my brother, I've had the opportunity to speak to others that were acquaintances um, about their loss as well. And, and through this experience, God has shown me um, that I can help others through their loss. I've um, heard from a coworker who lost father to suicide. I've heard from um, acquaintances that lost 
ex-boyfriend to suicide and loss of uncle to suicide and um, a neighbor that lost a spouse to cancer. And I believe that God um, put those people in my life and I was able to share my story and hopefully I could help them. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a hope and a future. One of the books I read that after Matt passed away had a quote in it. It said, the, the therapist will help, but the relationships heal. And that's really been true in our experience. Uh, you'll find that when you help others, you end up helping yourself. So you, you, you take the focus off of your pain, and uh, that, that's a healing process. Yeah, and God, you know, each of us individually, he's opened conversations and opportunities for us to share um, our story and, you know, how we move on and, and our hope that we have that my sisters and my parents have talked about. And um, it's it's a choice that we make to be open and it's, it's a hard thing to talk about, but we know that um, in this world, everybody's going to face trials. And so if we can share ours, that can be an inspiration maybe for other people and help other people through their journey of healing. So we hope that by listening to this episode, you were encouraged to know that there are other people in the world that have experienced hard things like you probably have. And there's choices that we can make with how we honor the person and the people that we've lost and how we can um, then move forward with our lives and take hope in what's to come for our future. So thank you for listening today. And we hope that um, this was an encouragement to you.